Grab your Bibles, would you please? I'm trying something new. Printer's on the blank. So when the printer's on the blank, what do you do? You preach from your iPad. I've never preached from an iPad before. I think this was like one of the first ones that came out. So um, it said in order to do certain things, you need an upgrade to 0.8 point something. It's like, mine's like 1.0. So it's like, it's like eight generations old. So uh, I'm just praying that um, God leads today and not my iPad. So uh, in your Bibles, turn with me to Second Chronicles. So that's Old Testament. Get past Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, keep going. Joshua, Judges, Ruth, you get the first and second Samuel, first and second Kings, first and second Chronicles, you're there. Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles chapter 34. It'll be a little bit before we read. Second Chronicles chapter 34. You know, we serve a victorious and undefeated God, amen? That uh, was a little weak. Um, you saw Joel Penton coming, okay? Big Ohio State guy. I'm only letting him preach next week because he's bigger than me. That's the only reason, okay? I'd take him down, but <laughs> I'd be really sore and hurt, so that's not a good idea. Uh, I, I, did anybody have fun watching Landon introduce Joel Penton? We should have him do that next week, right? He's a big Michigan fan, so I had to be just hurting inside. <laughs> just like, come next week to hear Joel Penton. I'm sure there's a Christian on the Michigan team. No, I'm just kidding. There's plenty of them. Um, but that was, that's going to be very enjoyable next week, hearing Joel. known Joel for years, a um, man who just loves God. And, uh, but anyway, so you, a lot of you cheer at ball games louder than that. So we serve an undefeated and victorious God. Amen? Amen. Amen. Exactly. You know, I can be living at my best in victory for him, and then the next day I feel very defeated. Then I've got to remind myself, I serve an undefeated God. And I've got to go to Scripture and find that and be reminded and last, or I'm sorry, two weeks ago, we talked about this. We said from 2 Timothy 1.7, we said, God has not given us a spirit of fear or timidity. Okay, you just be really timid, quite right? He's given us a spirit of what? Power, love, and self-discipline. Power is dunamis, where we get dynamite from. It's explosive power. It's miraculous power. He gives us the ability to do things we can't believe we can do. And a lot of times, it's just being courageous and bold in our faith. He gives us a spirit of love, the kind of love that God has, that agape love. And he gives us... Self-discipline, the ability to think correctly so we can make sound decisions. He gives us that so we can be victorious. And yet sometimes I have the wrong focus and I allow my fear to creep in and my worry to creep in, right? We all do that. And we have those days we don't feel very powerful, we don't feel loved, and our sound mind isn't so sound. And we're making decisions and out of worry or fear or caution, we're not sure and we feel defeated. And Paul comes along and says in Philippians 4, don't be anxious. Don't worry, right? Don't be anxious about what? Anything. But in all things, prayer. We talked about that and how the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, we don't get, comes upon us, guards our hearts. So we were reminded that we have a victorious God, an undefeated God, who's adopted us into his family. And our kids who have fears, right? For those of you who are parents, you, know, you remember raising them, some of them still have fears, right? But you're like, it's okay, you don't have to worry about that. God does the same thing with us, his adopted children, and saying, don't be anxious about anything. It's okay, I've given you the spirit of power and love and self-discipline. You don't have to fear that, right? 
But the thing is, we still get anxious over things that come up upon us. A lot of them are circumstances that come upon us, and we have no choice. It just happens. I don't know if you remember the story. It was in the New Testament. Jesus was in a boat with his disciples. It seems there's quite a few stories where Jesus is in the boat. But this particular one, Jesus gets in the boat and he says, I'm going to take a nap. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. He's probably been preaching and healing people, right? And he's like, I'm just going to lay down. I'm going to relax. Jesus lays down, falls asleep. Disciples are rowing their boat and they're just moving along across the lake. And all of a sudden, a storm comes up upon them. And what's Jesus doing? Sleeping. The storm is here. The disciples are nervous. They're scared. They're fearful. Their first thoughts are, does he not care? He's sleeping. Have you ever felt that way about God sometimes in your life? Storms come up. Bad things come up. Where's God? Another room? Maybe the other side of the country. Maybe he's sleeping. Even the Psalms and other scriptures you hear, we have a God who does not sleep nor slumber. But sometimes we feel that way, right? Because we said, well, wait a minute. Jesus slept, right? And they woke up. Jesus like, don't you care? He's like, don't you have faith? I'm in the boat with you. Am I not in the boat with you? You got a storm around you? We have circumstances around us all the time. But am I not here with you? Be still, be calm. And boom, it was calm. It was a very learning moment. That in the storms of life that we face and we feel alone, we think that he's sleeping on us, but he's not. He's there. He's true to his words. He says, don't be anxious about anything. Why is that? Because I'm right here with you. I'm your heavenly father. You're my child. I'm here with you. And I thought about this because I've seen plenty of storms in recent days. A couple weeks ago, and this all happened within a period of three or four days, where I sat down with different individuals, different um, high school, different college kids, and here's the storms that, as I sat down, I show up at a practice, get done with the practice, and uh, I was talking to the coaches, and a player comes up, hey, coach, here's what happened. I was at a party the other night, and somebody showed up with alcohol, and I right away knew we had to get out of there, so I grabbed my friend and said, we got to go, we got to find our keys and go. So I grabbed my keys and went to get the car, and I, coach, I went to get the car, and my friend texted me and said, don't come back, the police are here. And a bunch of them got busted and suspended and this young lady went to the coach said coach my name probably got brought up because i was at the party but i left when the alcohol showed up and i just want to let you know that i did not partake in that and i was very appreciative of that young lady going to coach saying i want you to know i was there but i didn't do it and i want to let you know that i tried to get out of there but my friends didn't. And I'm listening to this, and some of those kids end up being suspended and not being able to do some of their extracurricular activities at their school. But here's a young lady. She's actually one of our student leaders in one of our ministries uh, in another, another school system. That's pretty amazing. And then the very next day, actually, I think it was that same night, then you hear stories about uh, young people with their phones. And I heard a story about pictures on a phone that were getting passed of somebody without clothes, a very wrongful picture. And we sit there and think, that doesn't happen around here, does it? It happens. And it happens a lot. Same, uh, same day, talked with a few other kids, and they're sharing with me, yeah, we know kids that are smoking pot on our team right now. You know, back in the day, we always called them potheads, or, you know, in our school, we call them freaks. We had labels for everything, jocks, freaks, whatever, right? 
So we label people and we say, well, the kids are probably doing the drugs. It was probably the freaks or the potheads, right? No. It's the good kids, if you want to label them. It's kids whose parents know better. It's people who are sitting in the church and they don't realize what their kids are doing. And I was blown away by this. Somewhat, because I know it goes on. The next day I sit down with a coach. A coach who, this is his full-time job. Okay, uh, it's, it's a college coach, you know, and it's not a high school. It's a college coach who's like, I've got a family, I've got a job, and I think I'm probably going to get fired this week because we're not winning enough games. See, that's the way it works. You know, if your job, if you aren't doing what you need to do at your job, eventually if your productivity isn't where it needs to be, you're probably going to get laid off, you're going to get fired or something like this. And this coach is like, I'm trying my hardest, I'm trying my hardest, but we're just not winning. And he's contemplated back and forth so many times. Is this where I'm supposed to be? And he's living in fear, thinking my job is probably going to come to an end this week. Next day, talking with a kid whose dad was working on his friend's car, and while he was working on his friend's car, the car collapsed and crushed him, and he died. And this young man so lost his dad, so a year later, he's struggling with his relationship with everybody, so we're having a one-on-one -on -one discipleship conversation, and, and just sharing with that, I'm just sitting here thinking, why does he have to go through this? And the next day, I'm talking with another kid who's a 19-year-old who got his girlfriend pregnant a year ago, and they have a one-year-old, and they're not... They're not even dating anymore, and he's off at college, and he misses his old girlfriend, but now his girlfriend's hooked up with another boy, and they're purposely living in sin, even though they both go to church together, just to spite him and that one-year-old. Now, I'm sharing all this with not to put you in a bad mood, but say that's the reality of where we're at today. It isn't a, whoa, look at me, I live in a nice house, and everything's crystal clear and good. You might have that going on, but outside your door, there's a lot of pain. There's a lot of storms that are going on. Some of you know exactly what I talk about. Some of you may be in the midst of this yourself. Some of you have a similar story but different details. And you're like, I get it. The storms of life are rough. And we ask, Jesus, where are you at? Right? But it doesn't stop there because a lot of times we create our own storms. We create our own storms. And what I mean by that is some of us might be struggling with financial situations right now. You know somebody who is struggling financially. And we sit there and look at it and say, well, why are you there? Well, actually, I'm just spending too much on myself. I'm spending too much money over here. We overspend. And when we overspend, what happens? We put ourselves in a financial strain. And all of a sudden, we just sort of created our own storm just because we're actually we weren't very disciplined. Students might know what this is all about when it comes to studying. Well, I've got a paper due on Friday or a test on Friday. I'll put off studying until Thursday because it's okay because I'll probably be okay. Thursday comes like, ooh, that took longer to do that paper. That, and I'm staying up really super late now, super late, and I'm really tired. And I go to school the next day. I can't function because I'm sort of tired, and I guess I'm really not as prepared. Now i got a lower grade. Now my grade's down here, and I want to get it up here. Now it's going to take extra work out there. I just created my own storm. Maybe I could have just studied a little bit each day and prepared or something like that. We do the same thing with work or with sometimes our projects at home. We put it off thinking it'll be okay. Then the last minute we're trying to put together something at home and it's like I stressed myself out if I just would have done this more. Sometimes we create our own storms. Sometimes uh, we create our own storms by doing what I do and that is you put your gas tank on Okay, let's see, there's F for full, all the way over to E, then just right above the E mark. That's where I like to put mine before I get into my vehicle and drive 20 miles to the next town. And I get my vehicle, I'm thinking, oh, 
God, if you just help me get there. If I do that, I do every week. Seriously, I increase my prayer life 10 times every week by getting in my vehicle and not gassing up in advance. And I just pray, Lord, pray that Liberty Center has lower gas than Napoleon. It's 10 cents cheaper, I don't care. Actually, just get me there. I really don't want to walk today. And if I stress myself out, you'd think I would learn. Sometimes we, uh, we create our own storms because we choose not to connect to God. We, uh, we avoid church, we avoid youth group, we avoid fellowship opportunities, a quiet time in God's word. Suddenly we feel weak and, and, and hopeless because we've disconnected from God and it's our own storm we created. Parents, I'm gonna say this to you nice and loud and clear. I wish I had these young men up here in front of me right now to share this testimony with you. I sat in a room with uh, about a dozen football players from college and these guys had the same story. Now, one of, the, one of the students, he's a junior, he's in charge, and, and um, I said, well, so what are we doing on Tuesday night? And he said, I'd like to talk about this. I said, it sounds good. So we sat down, and he said, I want everybody to go around and share their testimony. How did you end up here? Why are you showing up at this Bible study? Okay. And so they started going around sharing. Every story was the same. A little difference in a few, but everything was pretty much similar. Well, I was going to church when I was a little kid. When I got into high school, listen, please. My parents told me I don't have to go to church anymore. They didn't make me go to church. So I chose not to go to church. I got out of the habit of going to church. From there, it was a downhill spiral. Every football player shared the same story. From there, I got involved in partying and so forth and so on and so on and so on. And I end up here in college, I'm playing college football, and I realize my life is a wreck. And I need to get things right with God. That's why I'm here. I'm getting it right with God. I just listened to these guys and I said, I need to take you to every church in the nation. Parents, please. These kids were testimonies, live testimonies, all from different places, Ohio, Michigan, all over, Florida. Same story. My parents gave me freedom to not go to church. I didn't have that growing up. My parents were like, oh, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, doors open, you're in. Now, I might have barked about it when I was a kid, I praise God for it now as an adult. So parents and teenagers, you're like, oh, come on, Pastor Rex. I'm giving it to you, man. I'm telling you. You need to be connected to God. When you disconnect from God, you create your own storms. You don't need any storms right now. You got so many pressures. Teens, so many pressures. I already gave about a half a dozen just starting, right? So sometimes it's not the circumstances around us and the storms around us. Sometimes we create our own. And so when we're trying to live victoriously for God amidst the storms that are coming our way and the storms that we're creating, we sit there and say, God, how can I be victorious through all this? In John 15, and I'm not having you turn down, I want you to 2 Chronicles. In John chapter 15, Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. And he talked about staying connected. He said, apart from me, you can do nothing. John chapter 15, read it sometime. Put that on your reading list for this week, okay? And he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And here's the thing. Sometimes we're on that vine, if you want to use that, that, you know, Jesus being the vine, we're the branches. And sometimes we're connected, you know, to the vine, and we're like growing spiritually. But then we sort of look over at the watermelons and the tomatoes in the garden. You know what I'm saying? And we're like, man, they're bigger than me. Everybody's giving them all the attention right now. I'm just going to sort of fall off the vine and sort of roll over here and be like the watermelons or the tomatoes and the corn. Man, the corn's really tall. 
what happens when you come off the vine? Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Because I was trying to look like somebody else or be somebody else instead of who God created me to be. Now I'm dying off the vine. God didn't create me to be corn or watermelon or tomato. You know what I'm saying? Apart from me, you can do nothing. So we need to stay connected to that vine. Jesus said, you stay connected to me. Stay connected to me. See, we, we fall off the vine because a lot of times we're the ones walking away from God. We're the ones make excuses and say, well, I don't have time for God. I don't have time for church. I don't have time for youth group. And Jesus says, but apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. So as, you, as soon as you start checking out and saying, I don't need this anymore, guess what? You're falling off the vine. This isn't a, this isn't a get to church sermon, okay? This is a stay connected to God sermon, okay? This is, you want to be victorious? Stay connected. Second Chronicles chapter 34. That's where we're at, right? So let's read it. Second Chronicles chapter 34. Josiah was eight years old when he became... You got any eight-year-olds in here? Eight-year-olds. Any eight-year-olds? Nine? Wait, eight-year-olds. Stand up. Check this out, guys. Come up here. Come up here, both of you. I want you to just get a picture of what eight years old looks like, okay? This is eight years old right here. When Josiah was eight years old, he became king. Would you guys like to be king or queen for the day? Wouldn't that be cool? That'd be way cool, wouldn't it? Ice cream for everybody, right? That's what I'm talking about. Awesome. Okay, you guys have a seat. Thank you. I want you to see eight years old. Okay, so when Josiah was eight years old, he became king. He reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. He did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight. He followed the example of his ancestor David. He did not turn away from doing what was right. Now, what I want you to understand is that isn't just a description of him when he was eight years old. That was more of a description of him during his reigning of years of being a king. He did what was right during that time of reigning, those 31 years. He was a righteous man. He sought out God. He wanted to stay connected to God, okay? Let's go ahead and read on. During the eighth year of his reign, okay, so he's now 16 years old, okay, 16-year-olds in here. And he's 16-year-olds. Okay. <laughs> Lupe, raise his hand. Lupe, point at Bailey. 16? Did you just have your birthday? Yeah, stand up. You need to hide. Seriously? I was like, I'm going to have a 16 Carter, how old are you? You 16? Excuse me while my face turns red. <laughs> Bailey, stand up. Carter, stand up. Any other 16 year Clay, how old are you? Just kidding. Okay. Got the 12 down. Okay. So here's our 16-year-olds, okay? Just take a look at them, okay? And think about this when you hear this. While he was still young, age 16, okay, you can have a seat. He began to seek the God of his ancestor, David. That age, not only are they becoming king, now total seeking, a pursuit. Uh, I want to know more about my God, okay? Then in his 12th year, so he's now age 20, okay, 20-year-olds in here? Colin's not here, and he's not 20, so I'm good, okay? Any 20? 19, 20, 21, around that range, anywhere? Lupe raised his hand at uh, 16, that didn't work. Jane, I saw that hand. <laughs> okay, so you can imagine a 20-year-old, this and this, he begins to purify, let's read on. 
He began to purify Judah and Jerusalem, destroying all pagan shrines, the Asherah poles, the carved idols, and cast images. Verse 4. He ordered that the altars of Baal be demolished and that the incense altars which stood above them be broken down. He also made sure that the Asherah poles, the carved idols, the cast images were smashed, scattered over the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. He burned the bones of the pagan priests on their altars, and so he purified Judah and Jerusalem. Did the same thing in the towns of Manasseh, Ephraim, and Simeon, even as far as Nephtali and the regions all around them. He destroyed the pagan altars and the Asherah poles. He crushed the idols into dust. He cut down the incense altars throughout the land of Israel. Finally, he returned to Jerusalem. Josiah was so moved. He's like, I'm getting rid of all these evil things. Anything that's sinful, getting rid of it. Oh, and by the way, the people that are, that are sinful, that are leading that, that have walked away from God, actually, they never were connected to God, okay? He says, we've got to get rid of them too. This is supposed to be a holy nation. So people who are leading people into sin and those sinful things, getting rid of them. Gone. A total reformation taking place here. So let's read on. Verse 8. In the 18th year of his reign, now he's age 26, I won't start calling you all out, okay? After he purified the land and the temple, Josiah appointed Shaphan, son of Azali, Messiah, the governor of Jerusalem, and Joah, son of Joaz, the royal historian, to repair the temple of the Lord his God. They gave Hilkiah, the high priest, the money that had been collected by the Levites, who served as gatekeepers at the temple of God. The gifts were brought by people from Manasseh, Ephraim, and all over the remnant of Israel, as well as Judah, Benjamin, and the people of Jerusalem. He entrusted the money to the men assigned to supervise the restoration of the Lord's temple. Then they paid the workers who did the repairs and renovation of the temple. They hired carpenters, builders, who purchased the finished stone and the wall timber for the rafters and beams. They restored what earlier kings of Judah had allowed to fall into ruin. Basically this, everybody's pitching in. Listen, we're getting rid of all the sin. We're making a place of worship. We need a place to worship, and we need everybody to get in. Now, what if I stood up here and said, listen, people, we're renovating a building. We need to add on a sanctuary. We need people to set up on Sunday mornings. We need people in children's church. Everybody pitch in. Now, sign up. Before you leave this place, you call yourself the body of church, the Church of Christ, right? Okay? So if you're part of that body, where are you serving? Everybody's pitching, and they did it back in biblical times. Could we do that? But pastors don't do that. Why? We don't want to offend anybody. We don't want to put you out of your comfort zone, right? We want God to call you. And when you feel that calling, like, I think God wants me to, then you move, right? I'm telling you, God's already called you to do something. Maybe it's to give. Maybe it's to build. Maybe it's to teach. Maybe it's to serve. Maybe it's to set up. Maybe it's to do something simple as greeting at the door. We need people greeting at the door. So thankful you're out there this morning greeting, you know, and just welcoming people. See, that's what the church does. The church is a body functioning together. And what I love is, is that, we're going all the way back to Second Chronicles, and we're seeing everybody's pitching in, everybody's doing something. Listen, it's time to get rid of the sin and pump it up for God. We need to have a place of worship. Let's do this. So they're bringing everything that they collected, and we go on to read in verse, let's go to the verse um, 14. While they're bringing out the money that they collected, in verse 15 it says, Hilkiah, the court secretary, says, Hey, I found the book of the law in the Lord's temple. 
He gave the scroll to Stephan. He took the scroll to the king and reported, your officials are doing everything they were assigned to do. The money that was collected at the temple of the Lord has been turned over to the supervisors, the workmen. Oh, and by the way, we found the scroll. And he read it to King Josiah. So a 26-year-old is reading this king or reading his scroll. And this scroll was from the book of the law of Moses, which some believe this was probably what was going to be a part of originally given with the Ten Commandments to Moses and everything that he wrote. Here it is. They find it. They're opening up the scroll and they're reading it. And what does Josiah do? It's like, hey, let's open up God's Word and read. So we're going to read Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. We're going to read these, these, these first books of the Bible. And as he reads, check what out happens. Verse 19. When the king heard what was written in the law, he tore his clothes in despair. He gave these orders to Hilkiah, Ahakim, son of Shaphan, Ab. Akbor, son of Micaiah, Shaphan, the secretary, and Asiah, the king's personal behavior. Why could they have names like Tom, Bob, and Larry? Okay, anyway. The hearing of God's word does incredible spiritual work upon their lives, and especially King Josiah. As soon as he heard God's word, he was like, woe is me. I am so far off the vine right now. And I need to get connected to God. And he tore his clothes, and it wasn't like a horrible thing. It was a complete showing that there was a transformation taking place. It was, it was a traditional expression of, of horror and astonishment that I'm this far away from something. I can't believe it. And he's like, it's actually a good thing that like God was working inside him. Expression of deep conviction of sin, and, and that's a good thing. Verse 21 Go to the temple, speak the Lord for me and all the remnant of Israel and Judah. Inquire the words written in the scroll that's been found. For the Lord's great anger has been poured out on us because our ancestors did not obey the word of God. We've not been doing everything in the scroll says we must do. He becomes so distraught when he realizes he opens up God's word in his scroll and he's reading, he's realized we're so far from God. We need to get back to God's presence. We need to come back to where he is and he pleads and he tears his clothes and he confesses and they go to others and say what do we need to do and they bring the scroll back and we're going to fast forward here I took a message back to the king verse 29 the king summoned all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem it says the king went up to the temple of the Lord with all the people of Judah and Jerusalem along with the priests and the Levites all the people from the greatest to the leadest Listen to this. And there the king read to them. The king never reads to people. He always had somebody that read for him. But he is so connected to God right now. He says, listen, I, from the top down, I've got everybody that's a part of this nation, this kingdom, in one place. You're hearing from me, the king. We're distant from God. and We've got to rectify this now. And he opened up the scriptures. And he started at the beginning and went all the way to the end. If I could have a quick moment of your time, I'd like to read a few verses. Are you kidding me? He read the books and scrolls. Can we have a quick word of prayer? There is no quick word of prayer. We're praying. Let's pray, right? Josiah heard the promise of both eventual judgment and the immediate delay of judgment. He didn't respond with indifference or a simple contentment that would just like, okay, if judgment happens, whatever. No, he wanted to get his kingdom right with God. Just as I hope and pray that we as believers, we want to be right with God. We want each other to be right with God. We want to get things going in the right direction. And so he read in their hearing all the words of the book. The king did this himself, so concerned for his nation. When he read them, 
moved with despair, and it hit him and realized, I am distant from God. It's like I'm falling off the vine. I know I'm a godly person, but I'm not doing what God's word said to do. So he got back connected, and he got all of his people said, we need to do this. Um, Rick, you're back there with the lights. Um, I'm going to have you in a second turn the lights. We're going to show the slides of, of Fields of Faith. I don't know if you've ever felt this way where you believe maybe you're a godly person and then you read something or you hear a message or something, all of a sudden it just sort of wrecks you. And um, you're like thinking, wow, um, I sort of have a spiritual awakening. Like, God, I thought we were tight, but now I feel like I've been away from you. I need to reconnect to you. A lot of times that goes on. And I don't know if that's happened with you lately, but I'm going to ask you this. Because I hope if we're all in God's word and prayer, God's talking back to you. So what has God been telling you lately? If we were to have a conversation, because a lot of times we sit down, we talk about the sports, the weather, and everything else. What if we left this room today saying, what's God been telling you lately? Would you have an answer? Would you be bold enough to share that answer? What's God been telling you lately? Have you heard anything? Here's the deal. If you're not spending time with God, if you're not connected to God, if you're not reading his word, if you're not praying, you probably haven't been hearing anything. So my challenge to you is this. As Josiah opened up, they discovered, in the process of trying to live the right way for God, they discovered how distant they were from God. He had to reconnect with God and say, we're getting back into these scrolls. We're opening up God's word. We're going to see what it says, and we're going to live it out. So my challenge to us is this. Let's get back into God's word. Let's make sure we're reading his word. Let's spend time with him. I'm going to give you some practical ways to do this, but I want to show you what's going to happen this Wednesday because it's happened now, oh, boy, I'm not sure how long, eight years maybe or more. It's called Fields of Faith, and it started because somebody was reading 2 Chronicles 34, and they saw what happened with King Josiah, and they said, wow, we need to do the same thing. So they create an event called Fields of Faith. It's just an event, okay? But it's all across the nation. This will be over in 500 different locations. We'll have one in Wauseon, and we'll have one in Hicksville locally. And what's going to happen is it's all student-led. Junior high and high school students that we're going to gather to worship. And then they're going to read scripture and pray. All based off of 2 Chronicles 34. Can you uh, go ahead and hit the lights and show the pictures? I just want to show you from what happened last year. Again, thousands of other youth on athletic fields gathered together to share. All in their Christian faith with fellow students during their ninth, you know, this is actually the ninth one. So this was out of Biddle Park last year. Kids gathering from all over. I think there was maybe, there's over a dozen different schools represented, most of them from Wauseon. and go to the next one. And as they gathered around, we are, our worship team was out there leading. I think our worship team's out there again this Wednesday leading. Somebody's out there leading. I don't know who's music doing. Somebody's doing it. Okay. So we'll go on. just want to show you some of the pictures from what took place. Some of you were out there as parents. Some of you were out there as students. Next one, please. Some of our students were leading and talking and reading scripture and praying, and they will again this year. Next one, please. They broke into small groups and prayed. Another, please. I'll go one more. And as they wrap things up, this is sort of what we saw. They gathered together, and we'll stop on that one. Over 500 fields were doing this. 
thousands of high school and junior high and college students doing this. Why? Because we felt like we've fallen distant from God. It's time to reconnect. So I'm going to ask you as a church, Wednesday, be praying for the young people from not this church, but all the areas at Fields of Faith, that God does an amazing thing. Not that these students get up and say some clever words, but as they read God's word, God's spirit moves in them like Josiah and just opens up their hearts. Can you go to the slide with the, uh, the six points? I want to give you a real quick six points of application to help you out here, okay? Uh, and, and this is something I've been working on this week, and I really want to challenge you to this too. Here's the first thing is this. Reset your expectations. What I mean by that is it's like a, it's like a, uh, a baseball player gets up to bat. If he bats 300, that means he's going to get on base three out of ten times. He's a great hitter, okay? It's like he only got on three out of ten times. That means he got out seven times, right? Okay? Listen, here's the deal. This is the way I see it. Here's home plate. That's me connecting with God. I want to get up to bat as many times as possible. Sometimes I'm going to be successful in my relationship with God. Sometimes I'm going to fail, okay? But here's the deal. I'm not going to bat a thousand with God all the time. A lot of times it's like, oh, I, I'm going to be victorious for God every single day. You know what? There's going to be your days you're going to trip up and you're going to miss. You're going to strike out. You, maybe you'll hit the ball and you get this far from getting a home run and it just flops, right? Somebody catches it. The point is, though, I've got to step up to the plate every day. And I want to challenge you on a daily basis. When you wake up in the morning, sometime throughout the day, you've got to figure it out um, even though you may not feel like you're connected to the vine, remember this, okay, about the vine and the branch, okay? Fruit that is connected to the vine lies dormant in different seasons. It's still connected. It's just not as bountiful and as big as in the season when it's growing for harvest. But it stays connected. There's still life within that. And you might just be having one of those days where you're not seeing a lot of growth, but stay connected, right? Even though you may not feel it, okay, you still have daily intentions of connecting with God. So every day, make sure you're doing this. Have a daily intention. Today, not, oh, yesterday I was sort of, tomorrow I'm going to do this. No, no, no. Today, what are you doing today to connect with God? Here's another thing you can do. Read the Bible. Get a plan. If you have uh, an iPhone, iPad, whatever, and you get the, the reading app for the Bible plan, there's so many great plans on there for devotions, for certain subjects. Download a plan, start it. If you need this. Some of you, you've already got a good system going. Excellent. You're already connecting. That's great. But those, some of you are like, I need something better. If you're like, I have no idea, come see me, and I'll show you some of the good plans that are on there to, to do. But you need to get into God's Word. And in prayer, I'm going to encourage you. Some of you are like, my prayer life isn't the greatest. Okay, here's the challenge. Eight minutes. Just eight-minute prayer. That's a long time. You can do it. Okay? Break it down into acts. A is adoration. C is confession. T is thanks. And S is stuff. Okay? Adore God. God, you're awesome. You heard Pastor Landon praying how he knows our inmost being, how he created us as he prayed. He was adoring God for being our creator. Okay? You maybe read a psalm and pray through a psalm and on how mighty and majestic God is. But adore God, and then confess. What are you thankful for? Give him thanks. And all that other stuff is that S, okay, stuff. That's, you know, 
Somebody needs prayer because they're going through this. I need prayer because I'm going through this, you know. Or, Lord, today help me to be bold and courageous. Maybe all kinds of stuff. And you know what? It might be, if you do two minutes on each, that's eight. You might do one minute, three, two, and whatever the math is left, two, okay? It, it may be something else. Matter of fact, you're like, you know what? I'm going to start with adoration. I started thanking God. Oh, no, I prayed out of order. Okay, this is just an idea, okay? This isn't biblical like I found in Second Hesitations 3.2, okay? It was, it's just an idea, okay? So it's just to help you, okay? Uh, number four, obey what you're reading. So you read it, awesome, now go do it. And the next one, trust, period. It's only when it's got a period on the end of it, okay? Well, man, I put it one after I got a plan. Okay, trust, and I should have put a big period. Trust, period. Well, I'm going to trust him, and I'm going to, no, 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 no. After you trust him, you stop right there. Trust him. Okay. Number six, share God's love. Share God's love. I'm going to share something with you as I wrap this up. And this is, um, boy, this hit me square. Uh, I hope I can get through this with you. Um, I was reading a book by Kevin Myers, and he was sharing what happened in this, his conversation with God one day. And when I read this early in the week, this just hit me. Because you see in ministry with what I do, whether it's with the church or with FCA or other things, I'm always out doing stuff, meeting people, sharing God's love. And sometimes, you know, I can maybe get stagnant or I can sit there and say, okay, God, do I, I'm gonna, is it really worth driving all the way over there to do this and then driving all the way over here to do this? Is it really worth my time and effort to do that? And is it worth, you know, sometimes you get those questions going on in your head. And, uh, and I read this story by Kevin Myers. And I'm going to share it with you. Basically, it's this. He said one morning he was sitting down praying, having this conversation with God, and asking those same questions that I was asking. And God said, um, how many kids do you have? Three. And I'm going, oh, so I got three kids too. He goes, write down those three names of your kids. Okay. Colin, Carter, Okay, actually, go and put their picture up. Go to the lights, please. So here we go. Carter, Colin in the middle, Clay on the outside. And God said, okay, circle two names. All right, just circle any one. I'll just start with, guys on my left, I'll work my right. So I'll circle Carter, circle Colin. And so God said, okay, those two are going to heaven. Your third one is not. Whoa, wait a minute, God. No, I don't think so. All my boys are going to heaven. All my boys. Not one is going to hell. But what if God did that with you? You list out all your kids. And maybe you don't have children. Think of your three best friends, three closest people to you. Write them down and then pick one that's not going to go to heaven. Are you okay with two out of three going to heaven and one not? I'm not. And God said, as soon as you're okay with two out of three going to heaven, then I'll be okay with two out of three going to heaven. But if you're not okay with that, guess what? I'm not okay with that either. Can you imagine that kind of conversation having with God? And I thought that through. So I had my conversation with God that morning. And I was like, God, I'm not okay with that. I want all my boys in heaven. And God's like, yeah, and I want all people in heaven too. So if you're okay with two out of three of your kids going, you think I am too? 
You hear what I'm saying, church? Do we have time to stop caring about people? No. We're going to be moving our, you know, our new ministry center into a neighborhood. There's a lot of people who don't know Jesus Christ. Are we okay with two out of three people in those apartments going to heaven and not three out of three? Are we okay with people around us at work, only part of them going to heaven, not everyone? I'm sorry, I can't be that way. I think it's of dire importance that we make sure we are so connected to God so that we have such a thirst and hunger to share him with everybody else that is so evident. It's like, you know what? I want you all to go to heaven. You put that last one. And that's why when you come to this church, you need to hear it plain and clear that God loves us so much. John 3, 16, right? He loves us so much that he sent his one and only son that we sang about, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. If you're in this room this morning, you know what? And you're like, I've never prayed. I've never asked Jesus Christ to come into my life. I've never asked for forgiveness. I'm telling you right now, I want you in heaven, okay? And it's not so much just going to heaven and not going to hell. It's being in the presence of God. You do not want to be separated from the presence of God. I do not want to be separated from the presence of God. I want this church to know that you need to know who Jesus Christ is. You need him as your personal savior. And when I go to pray here in a second, you can go ahead and pray and ask for confession. Ask Christ to come in your life. And then if you're sitting here in this room this morning saying, I am a Christian, I am a believer in Christ, good, excellent, love it. Because we're going to worship together in the presence of God someday, but here's the deal. There's so many more people that need to be with us. I'm calling this church out. We need to make sure we're staying connected to God. We need to make sure that, you know, I was thinking last week, and I looked at, you know, the number of kids that we had. One-third of this church last week was age, I think, 11, 10 or 11 and younger. One-third last Sunday. That's a lot of kids. Love it on time. Thank you. We planned that. Good work. Our young people are so valuable, and they're in a battle at their schools and trying to live godly lives. Parents, grandparents, friends, let's keep at it in raising up and keeping our kids connected. Parents, it starts with us, so we gotta make sure we're connected and showing them the way, okay? Let's keep out there reaching people for Christ. Would you please stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you're an awesome God. And God, I am not okay with a couple of my kids going to heaven. I want them all there. And I'm so thankful that my boys have confessed with their mouth and they believe in their heart that you are Lord. I know that they're heaven bound, but I can't even imagine what it'd be like and now I understand why my dad was always so pressing at every Christmas to tell his children and grandchildren how important it is that they know Christ. Because he didn't want to see one, not one child, not one grandchild go to hell. The question is, God, do we see every child that way? Do we see every person that way as you do? Because, God, you created mankind here to have a relationship with you. God, I just pray that we are just changed inside out, given a desire to worship you, to connect with you, 
And then when we're connecting with you, God, that you give us the strength and the boldness and the courage to make sure we're sharing your love with everyone. And when we get tired of trying to live the Christian life and we start asking, is this really worth it? Remind us, God, it is so worth it. It is so worth it. there's somebody here in the room this morning that doesn't know you, there's somebody in the room that doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Savior, this is the perfect time to realize that God's love is so immense for you. Go ahead where you're at right now and just confess silently to God the stuff that's going on in your life that's not right. We call it sin. Some people call them mistakes or errors, but we blow it. Forgive us, Lord, for those sins. Lord, renew our hearts, come into our lives and be the Lord of our life. Lord, we're not asking you just to save us from the grips of hell, but to be our Lord, to guide us, to lead us in our life, our daily choices. Lord, you're an amazing God and we want a new life with you. For those of us that are in this room that we've already maybe prayed a prayer like that or we've, we've confessed, Lord, give us a passion for the lost. Give us a passion for those who uh, don't know you and give us a passion for you. And we stay connected as Josiah wept and tore his clothes saying, I do not want to be apart from you. God, give us that same passion. We do not want to be apart from you give us that same passion to love others and share the truth with them. Whether they accept or not, just help us to be bold in sharing that truth. God, we love you and we're going to sing to you now. Keep working in us, God. Keep working in us. And we love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.